Luke chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. Luke chapter 1, we pick up a story that's already in progress. A man named Luke has written this to his friend named Theophilus. He's trying to convince Theophilus to give his life to this Savior, Jesus. So here are the facts as Luke sees them laid out for us. If you found Luke chapter 1, why don't you stand and we'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, let me take you all the way down to verse 39. It's a long passage from verse 39 to verse 56. From verse 39 to verse 45 is the travel narrative when Mary meets Elizabeth. Verse 46 to verse 56 is what is known as the Magnificat, that is the Song of Mary. Let's read them all. Verse 39, grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin verse 39. <clears throat> In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here's the Magnificent. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on to all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble state. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and return to her home. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would have clarity this morning. Father, I pray that I would not say anything that does not reflect the truth from your word. God, I pray that by your spirit you would bring healing and forgiveness and hope, that you would restore joy, that you would remove bitterness, I pray that you would awaken hearts to trust Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you for the baptisms this morning that reflect what already has happened. I pray that you would bring people from death to life today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we all need heroes. Every one of us here. At least, maybe not a hero, at least we need someone we can look up to, someone that we see as a good example. In front of us here, in this great story in Luke chapter 1, we've come across two heroines. One of them very old, 
One is very young. One is a young girl named Mary. The other is an old woman named Elizabeth. Standing on polar ends of the age spectrum. And Luke has presented these two women in front of us as heroines, heroes, people that we can look to and see their remarkable faith. Because both of these women, Mary and Elizabeth, both of them point us to our good God. Now, when we read the Bible, we need to be careful that we don't just stop at the example. We don't just stop and say, let's be like Mary or let's be like Elizabeth. We got to keep pressing, find out what does this story ultimately, where is this story going? What I want to do today is something a little bit different. <clears throat> I'd like to pick up in the story in verse 39 and just go from verse 39 to verse 45 and give some running commentary until we get to verse 46. And there we see the song that Mary sings. And what I'm hoping is that as you go through this passage, it'll feel a little bit like a Bible study. As you go through this passage, what I'm hoping is that you, when you walk out of here today, I'm hoping that you will believe that whatever it is, by grace, God will get you through. Now, we all got something. We all got something to get through. I want you to, to draw strength from this story. I want you to see the goodness of God. Not just the, the two women as examples. Let's look through them into the goodness of God. Join me there in verse 39. You follow along as this narrative reads to the song, leads to the song. If you, did, if you didn't bring a Bible, you can probably pull it up on your phone. It'll be on the screen. If you have your Bible open, you just keep, you just stay there with me. Verse 39. Let's go there to verse 39. At that time, the Bible says, verse 39, you see it? In those days, what days? Those days, Gabriel, the angel, had come from the presence of God and met Zechariah in the temple. He's a holy man. In the temple as an old holy man, married to an old holy woman, Elizabeth, they do not have children. And Gabriel comes and tells Zechariah, you're going to have children. Well, he don't believe it. So Gabriel says, all right, well, you're not going to talk till that baby comes in. So he struck mute, struck dumb. Elizabeth, in her old age, she does become pregnant. She confines herself away. We have that going on. And then Gabriel shows up to Mary. And there's Mary. She's not an old woman. She's a young girl. She might be 14 or 15. And she's told by the angel Gabriel that she is going to be pregnant, not because she's married, but because the Holy Spirit will come upon her and she's going to be pregnant with a king. She has command to go and see her cousin Elizabeth. Verse 39 tells us she did it with haste. She arose and she went out in a hurry. She left there in a hurry. It wasn't just down the road. It's to the hill country of Judah. That's 70, 80, maybe 100 miles away. Driving from here to Greenville, South Carolina. She did it on foot. My question is, who went with this girl? Who's with her? Was she by herself? She traveled all of that journey 
We have people in this room and part of our church that, that run marathons and sometimes will train for a 50K or even a 100K. Last week we had a couple of elite athletes run 100 miles and their bodies had to recover. What about this girl walking all of that distance? Verse 39 says she walks to Judah. And verse 40, she entered into the house of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah can't talk. Verse 40, she entered in the house of Zechariah. She greeted Elizabeth. I guess Zechariah just waved at her. She greeted Elizabeth, and then something happens. Business picks up right here. When Elizabeth hears Mary, something dynamic and electric begins. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... Do you love this verse? When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Later on, Elizabeth, Elizabeth will say, when, the, when, when you spoke to me, the baby leapt for joy. Now, just as an aside, let's pause here. One of the reasons that we are extremely pro-life and believe that life begins at conception because we believe that the Bible teaches that. Here is the story of the aged Elizabeth pregnant with John the Baptist. John the Baptist is six months in her womb. She's six months pregnant. When Mary walks in the house and speaks, the text says that the baby heard, Elizabeth heard, and jumped and did so for joy. What you have here is this viable child able to hear, able to respond, able to experience emotion. Not only that, you find Elizabeth, she then is filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? As Orthodox Christians, we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. And when he ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 2, God gave us the Holy Spirit to start the church. But there are certain dispensations. John the Baptist will be one, so will Elizabeth, when God gives the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit doesn't make us do weird things. The Holy Spirit reveals and points us to Christ. Here she is filled with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in verse 41. And as she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she exclaimed with a loud cry, this is Elizabeth to Mary. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now here's where the Roman Catholic Church has taken a verse and gone all the way into the Immaculate Conception and Mariology that has exalted this woman, Mary. We would just say simply that the Bible does not tell us that. That Elizabeth now has rejoiced that Mary has shown up and she is pregnant with this coming king. And notice what she says. She knows that she knows that he's a king in verse 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, Jesus is Lord, should come to me? Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Here's the very first time that John the Baptist will prepare the way. John the Baptist responds with joy in the presence of Jesus. That'll be his life story until they cut his head off. Verse 45, Elizabeth goes on to say, And blessed is she, Mary, 
for her, her obedience. Luke is lifting up this woman, Mary, and Elizabeth too, as two obedient women who, who love each other, love God. They've been strapped with this task, and yet they are responding with great strength. And as we turn away from the two of them, we find out late in this story that Mary's going to stay there three months. Was she there? And we don't know. Was she there when John the Baptist was born? They stayed together with fellowship, loving each other. And then the story turns in verse 46. There it is. The song. What do we learn? What do we learn from Mary's song? What do we learn from the Magnificat? That is Latin. It's where the name comes from. What do we mean when we say that whatever it is, whatever it is by grace, God will get you through? What do we mean? Well, let's go through this Magnificat. There's several verses. This song, and let's just pick out some things. I want to show you some things that I think this teaches us. Here's the first one, number one, and that is that the Bible, the Bible works. The Bible works. When you read this song from this teenage girl named Mary, now she had several days to walk to the hill country of Judah. Maybe she wrote it then. When you read it, what you find is great poetry. What you find is great theology. What you find is great devotion and doctrine. Here you have this song that is chock full of Bible. There are 12 references to Old Testament passages in Mary's song. This song feels a whole lot like the woman named Hannah in 1 Samuel. Here's a picture of this young girl who's had the Bible her whole life drilled into her heart. When I say drill, I mean in, in the most positive way possible so that you might have it inside of you. This is a, this is a proof that... Um, this is proof that the Virgin Mary went through Awana. Right here. She has the Bible. She, she has memorized so many chunks of the Bible. I mean, if someone said to me, I want you to write a poem with ten stanzas and do it with nothing but Bible. I don't think I could do that. Here's this young girl whose heart has been gripped by the Word of God. Her, her mind is controlled. And when she goes to praise God, the Bible comes out. Now look, we want to be careful when we talk about the Bible because it's going to come off as if you worship the Bible. We do not. We, we do believe that it is God's infallible and inerrant word, that it is inspired by God, and this is how God reveals himself to us. But we believe that it is God revealing himself to us, taking us to the gospel, that the Bible is there to take us to Christ. It runs us to show us our sinfulness before God, and our great despair to see the wrath of God coming down on sinners. And yet God's love gives us Jesus so that we might run to Jesus Christ. This whole story is about the coming of Jesus. The Bible works. Let me give you another thing to consider as you look at this passage. Here's number two. By the way, I'm going to go very quickly because I have ten of these. Number two, you ready? Number two. The bigger, the bigger God is, the better you are. Join me there. The bigger, 
If you can view God bigger and bigger and bigger, the better and better and better you're going to become. Here's what I mean. Join me in verse 46 and 47. Now here you see this Hebrew parallelism. She, she's going to say the same thing two times differently. Let me show it to you. <clears throat> My soul magnifies the Lord. That's one way of saying it. My soul magnifies. This is where we get the name Magnificent. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When my inside being sees the bigness of God, when I can see that God is bigger than my situation, when I can see that God is bigger than this pain, when I can see that something happens inside of me, my soul magnifies my spirit rejoices. This is what we do, not a microscope, not a microscope, but a telescope. It feels far away. You take a telescope and you can see the heavenly body and that is pulled closer and seems bigger and fills up the lens. It's the picture of you understanding that God invades and controls. You enlarge the presence of God in your life. What happens to us it's so often is that we we enlarge problems and in small God. We allow something to be so big that it edges out of our hearts the godness of God. And Mary, this 14, 15 year old girl who's going to be illegitimately in the eyes of society pregnant. She's able to say, God is exalted. My spirit rejoices. Not only that, You'll notice that Mary says something about herself in verse 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Here is textual proof for us that reminds us that, that Mary, although blessed and will be used by God greatly, she will be a sinner saved by grace just like the rest of us. That she actually will need a Savior. So often we... Um, we allow the issues of the day, the problems of the day, and sometimes the pain of the day to be so big in our lives, we forget the goodness of God. And I want you to just take a lesson from Mary's life and see that if, if you can get a bigger vision, the, the bigger God is, the better you are. When your soul presses God into the crevices, press God into the issues, when you magnify the Lord, your spirit rejoices. And then the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. Look, the Bible works and the bigger, the bigger God is, the better you are. Let me give you a third thing to consider. Number three, if, if you get grace, you get the whole thing. Maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian. You're wondering about becoming a Christian. You saw people baptized today. What does that actually mean? It is a picture of God's grace. I'm going to show it to you, and I'll try to explain it in verse 48. Mary says, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So that, that has come true. Mary's been called blessed by generation, generation. I don't want to pay much attention to that as much as I do the very first part of verse 48. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
Now, the temptation is to spend our time looking at Mary and thinking about her humility and her understanding of being a servant and her good heart of knowing her place and her need for God. That is a really good thing as we hold her up as an example. But I want you to look past that. I want you to see what God did. The text says, He has looked. He noticed you. God didn't come to you because you were being so good and you had changed your life. And then he noticed how good you're acting and so now he accepts you. That, that's not. The text says that, that she was over in Nazareth. There was nothing special about her. And the, the pressure and the point and all of the strength is found in God. That God looked at her. Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16 is a chapter that adults should read. I won't read it here because we have children in here and it's a little too much. But when you go and read Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, it is the prophet giving us a picture of God and his love for his people Israel. And the imagery he uses is Israel as a newborn baby left and abandoned on the side of the road, not even had, having the umbilical cord cut. God comes and cleans and and, and picks you up. And in Ezekiel, God says, I saw you. Look, this isn't, this isn't Mother Mary. This is maidservant Mary. And God seeing. The whole story of Christianity is God seeing you. Not because you were good, but because we were in our sin. And yet God gives us Jesus, this is Christmas. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived perfectly, kept the entire law of God. Jesus then goes to the cross. Why the cross? At the cross, the wrath of God is poured out to punish the sins of mankind. Jesus, that's why he had to be a man. That's why the incarnation. Jesus takes the wrath of God. He also kept the law and gives us righteousness. He is crucified, dead. God raised him from the dead. And here's the promise. Here's the promise. This is how Christianity works for you. Is when you turn from your sin and believe that. Believe that God has given you grace in Jesus. You see, if you get grace, you get the whole thing. Let me give something else to consider. You'll see it in verse 49, and that is about gratitude. Gratitude gets you ready for crisis. Gratitude, I mean your heart. Learning to be thankful. The, the, the goodness of God. The goodness of God in choosing Mary. And she calls that to mind in verse 49. Do you see it? It's uh, one of the famous phrases in this uh, song. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So she recognizes attributes of God. She's going to do that for a little while. And here she speaks of the, the power of God. That word mighty, it's the dunamis, is where we get the word dynamite. So she has in mind the, the, the energy, the power of God to make things happen. But, but notice what she is thankful for. He's done great things for me. 
Now think about Mary. She is pregnant at this point. She is 14 or 15 years old. She is not married. Matthew tells us that Joseph, at one point, because he's a good guy, he says, I'll just put her away quietly, but I certainly can't marry her until an angel comes to talk to Joseph. So it's a scandal in the making. And yet, she is able, even though she knows there's a scandal coming, she is able to say, He has done so many good things for me. Are you a thankful-hearted person? I mean, there's a, it's a good... It really is a blessed thing for this girl to carry the Messiah. But she didn't know how great it was going to be, that she would be venerated forever. She's thankful. She can, she can look back over the course of her life and, and give thanks to God. This points us to, to God's good grace given to us in Christ this points us to God's blessings in your life. You know what a grateful heart does? If you can cultivate, and sometimes it's hard to do because you've been through some things and it's easy to get bitter. If you can cultivate gratitude, if you can get a grateful heart, it endures a whole lot of pain. If you can get a heart that learns to say, thank you, God, that heart can endure a whole lot of pain. You know what ingratitude does? This happens a lot when you start asking why. Why is this happening? Usually when we're asking why or why would God do this, we're, we're, we're making a statement more than asking a question. It's not really inquisition. It's saying, I don't deserve this. And that leads to bitterness. It leads to hardness, to, to resentment and anger. But here we find Mary facing really an unknown future, able to be grateful. Are you a grateful? You ought to just list things. This is what I'm thankful for. Go from the mundane into, into the more intricate. You see, gratitude gets you ready for a crisis. Let me give you two points real quick. I'll give you a five and a six. Here's the fifth one. The holiness of God. Number five, the holiness of God centers us. It centers us. Let me show you where I get that. It's the same verse. Verse 49, she sings, He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Holy, pure, without sin, without stain, without blemish, so far beyond what I can think of or imagine. Holy is his name, his character, all that he stands for, his ways. Do you believe that God's purpose in your life is holy? I mean, I have so many questions about this young girl's heart. So many things going on in her mind. And yet the holiness of God is forefront in who, who she is and that holiness centers us. You know why the holiness of God centers us? Because immediately, this happens to me anyway, I, I immediately think of my own sinfulness and the sinful world I live in. The holiness of God, you think about that, it should immediately run you to your own sinfulness. And then thank God for the gospel that there is one mediator between God and us. It is the man, Jesus Christ. So the, the holiness of God centers us. Let me give you a sixth one. The fear of God saves us. The fear of God. 
want to be careful how I say this because I'm getting it right from the passage, but you'll see it in verse 50. It's a great verse. Mary sings, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. His mercy. God is merciful. He doesn't punish us like we deserve. His mercy is not universalism. His mercy is not just given to everyone indiscriminately. Mary says His mercy, God is merciful to those that understand, that fear Him. You see, the fear of God, well, when you say fear, do you mean just standing in awe? No! I mean genuine fear. That God is a holy God that created us in His image. That image is disfigured in me because of my own sin. That sin is a crime against God and I stand condemned under the wrath of God. This is what the Bible teaches. And that is a scary thing. That realization then presses me to the mercy and love of God given to us at the cross of Jesus. Yes, the fear of God. And those that understand, look, I deserve punishment, but I'm given grace at the cross. You see, the fear of God saves us. What's the Christian, the Christian message? The Christian message is we're not just saved so that we can be better and whole and have peace and be more joyful and more stable. The, the reality of becoming a Christian is that we are actually saved by the grace of God from the wrath of God. The, the fear of God saves us. Let me give you another thing to consider here in verse 51. I'll go quickly from here. It's the seventh thing, I think. And that is that God hates pride. She sings in verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. That uh, The idea of Him flexing His arm, it is an anthropomorphism, it is it is saying, giving a, a human-like quality to God to remind us that He moves and he, and he judges. Verse 51. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Here's just a reminder that we, we are commanded to be humble and we are not naturally humble. We are naturally self-centered. And when God... When God saves us through faith in Christ, He saves us because we cast aside our pride and realize we can't do it ourselves. We see our abject and absolute poverty before God and our need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's not prideful. Prideful people don't get saved. It's those that see and fear and turn and say, I need. Why does God take us through why does God take us through so much? James 4, 6 says that he, he gives more grace. God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Why? Because the humble know they are, are in need. Why does God discipline you? Why, is, why has so much of your life been so hard? Why has that happened? Why do you feel like you've been left alone? Or sometimes like the whole world is against you or the job didn't play out. Why? Why has God allowed that to happen? He's done that. As you look back in Providence, He's done that. So you might see your need for His good grace found in Jesus. He 
He cripples us so we lean on Him. He humbles us so we need Him. God hates pride. I'm going to give you an eighth and a ninth and a tenth. Here's number eight. <clears throat> Deal with this what you want. God can handle our current world mess. Do with that. God can handle. Verse 51 and 52 is where I'm getting that. He has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God does what he wants. Do you know, uh, do you know Psalm chapter 2? I had it marked here. Let me read Psalm 2. Verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> the psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His Holy One, His Anointed One, saying, Let us, birth, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The psalmist says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. He holds them in derision. You know, the, the writer of Proverbs tells us that, that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wants. When I say that God is still on the throne, that is not just a preacher saying. That is a confidence builder for you. That our God can handle the current world situation. With I think we'll lose probably lose religious freedom rights. I think all of that is coming down the pike. We'll, we'll lose a whole bunch of stuff. We are reminded God can handle that. God is a good God that brought us here during that time so that we might live as true witnesses of God's good grace found in Jesus. I'll give you a ninth one, number nine. God, God is a kind provider, a kind provider. Do you see that in verse 53? He's filled the hungry. There are things we do at Hickory Grove, we do them not thinking it's going to lead somewhere to people joining, looking for a return on our investment. There are things as Christians we are called to do that are nothing but acts of mercy and justice to show the kindness of God because God does that. God is a kind provider. I'll just give you this last one. Let me, let me end on the last note in verse 54. And that is we can always... Count on mercy. Mercy. See in verse 54? He has helped his servant Israel, and he did it in remembrance of mercy. That mercy takes us immediately to the gospel of Jesus. That God created us in his image, that image disfigured. We are sinners separated from God. God in mercy, not giving us what we deserve, gives us Jesus who lives perfectly, died on the cross in your place. God raised him from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. And, and the, uh, the appropriation, this is how it becomes yours, is when you turn away from sin, that's repentance, and you believe that Jesus died for you. Look, brothers and sisters, this... Um, this holiday, Christmas can be profoundly hard for a lot of people. This song reminds us, whatever it is, 
by grace, God will get you through. What, what, what do you need? Forgiveness? Healing? Peace? You need bitterness taken away? You need direction? You need hope? They are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we pray this morning, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads with me before we sing another worship song. And as we sing, if you sense that you would like to pray with someone, part of our um, tradition at Hickory Grove is to, after the sermon, give an opportunity to respond. Our pastors are here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. If, if you're not comfortable with that, then after church, our pastors will be out in the lobby standing around. It is a great time just to start a conversation about what it means to give your life to Jesus Christ. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring hope and healing. God, I pray that you would remind your people today that regardless of what it is, by grace, you can handle it. And I pray that you would restore joy, bring peace, forgive sin. God, we ask you to meet with your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand please as we sing together?